You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be, and once you find it, let's go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word here tonight, just out of respect of it. And uh, Mark chapter 10, and Brother Ruckman's message this morning, um, it, it really got me to thinking uh, about what to preach tonight. I had intended to be in James, and, um, and yet I was kind of wrestling uh, between this truth and the book of James. And, uh, and so just to kind of carry with a, a couple of the ideas that Brother Ruckman preached this morning, just felt like I, we should come over here to Mark chapter 10. This is a truth, a principle that I have preached before, but one that I think probably we could use every couple of years, just, uh, just as a recalibrating text. You know, when Brother Ruckman was talking about the one thing that our church, you know, if you strip everything away, there's one thing left. Uh, the gospel is what we're all about. If we don't have a building, we still have a purpose, and the purpose is the gospel, and if we don't have a large number, we have a purpose. We have the gospel. And, and that thought really uh, kind of just helped clarify what I'll be doing tonight here. And I'm just calling it the power of one. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 7. Sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. This is the rich young man coming to Jesus. It says in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. And ask him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, master, all these have I observed from my youth. You know, can you imagine he kind of popped his collar when he said it? All these have I observed from my youth. He's very self-righteous, isn't he? Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And I love that response by Jesus Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't disdain him or look down on him. In his moment of sinfulness, self-righteousness, Jesus loves him. And I love that truth there. Wish we could spend more time on that. It said, Jesus loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible." Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren 
or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mother and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Um, I'd like to deal with just, it's a simple message tonight, uh, but one that's very fitting for New Year's Day. I'd like to deal with um, Jesus' answer there in verse 21 when he looks at him and loves him and says unto this rich young ruler, he says, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. The power of one is the idea tonight. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we love you, and we certainly are in need of you. As we've been reminded even in our text with men, Lord, the things that we truly need and desire are not possible, but with God they are possible, which means that even this service right now, this preaching, God, without your help, it is it just is it's vain and empty. Lord, we need your spirit to move among us and convict us. And God, uh, we are we are uh, looking ahead to a new year, and yet it, there are some in here who next year will be in the exact same position as we are tonight, unless we get a hold of this principle tonight. Lord, we love you. Pray for your blessing on the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For those of us who were around, um, and that's, that's fewer and fewer people I'm finding, but for those of us who were around on January 29th, 1986, how many of you would have been around January 29th, 1986? Okay. How many of you were not around January 29th, 1986? Okay. All right. Very proudly raising your hands, okay? Um, it's a day I will always remember, and maybe it's a day that you will always remember as well. Um, does anybody know what happened on that day? It's a significant event. Oh, so Evan was not around, but he knows what happened. What was it? Yes, the Challenger spacecraft exploded. So that is a reader right there, uh, because I don't think he was there to see it. But I remember as a kid, I'll never forget our teachers taking us into the assembly room of my elementary school to watch the Challenger shuttle take off from Cape Canaveral. Maybe you remember this as well, um, if you, especially if you were a school kid. I mean, millions of people tuned in on that day, primarily because there was national interest in the fact that Krista McAuliffe, the teacher um, that, that was just a teacher, a school teacher, they, she had been selected um, to, to be on that spacecraft with the rest of the crew. And so we were all interested, and so our school uh, all got into the assembly room, and we turned on the giant TVs that were on the cart that if you tip over, it will take out a whole crowd of children, you know, those big TVs, and turned on the TV, and we were watching it, and I'll never forget how the excitement of the moment at turned to absolute shock when 73 seconds after the ship took off, um, it, it broke apart and exploded, killed all seven crew members. Um, you know, the question on everyone's mind, obviously, it, it was clear that there were no survivors. And the question on everyone's mind became, how did this happen? And, and this is an illustration that's probably, you've probably heard this before. I know that I have I've heard this before as well, but it, it really makes a point. It was determined that because of the cold temperatures, there was an O-ring on the ship 
that wouldn't seal because it, 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 the cold temperatures didn't allow it to expand like it should. It released gases into a part of the ship that there shouldn't have been. Those gases ignited and the ship broke apart and exploded just a little over a minute after taking off. And that's, that may be an oft-used illustration, but it really does make the point. Because one thing, no matter how small that one thing is, one thing can change everything. Uh, I, I remember reading a story uh, uh, in, during the Civil War, and you know, who knows if it's, it, you know, it's validity or not. Um, I'm sure Evan could tell us that too. But um, the Civil War courier on horseback, and maybe you remember this, he was uh, tasked with taking a very urgent message to a general um, on the front lines of an important battle during the Civil War. And the courier, though, never made it to the, to the general because his horse threw a shoe. And someone later penned these lines that, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a horse, a rider was lost. And for want of a rider, a message was lost. For want of a message, a battle was lost for want of a battle a war was lost you know one small thing really can make all the difference and it leads then right to this point that I want to get right into tonight our thought for New Year's Day here is you know I'm always optimistic at the beginning of a new year and maybe you are too I'm kind of the renaissance man I have all these things that I want to change and improve on and get better at there's so many possibilities there's a fresh start ahead there's a clean slate you can set new goals uh, you can make positive changes in your life and and I try to set goals in in, in different areas I mean for myself you know physical goals or uh, in music I, I like to write music when I can and or you know even in our family with finances to pay off some debts or or save a certain amount of money make certain purchases uh, maybe there are personal improvements I want to read certain books or, or, or take some certain steps in some area to learn something new, uh, maybe, and then especially spiritually speaking. Um, I, I, I try to read through my Bible, um, and usually I try to read through it more than once in a year, and, and that takes time and it takes commitment. I, I try to spend more time in prayer. That seems to always be on my list every year. I uh, want to reach more people and be a better witness, all of those things. And maybe you're like that at the beginning of a, of a year, you've got these things racing through your mind that you like the idea of a fresh start. You like the idea of having new opportunities and setting and meeting goals. But if you're like me, you get a little less excited about it when you look back on your track record. I mean, I'm excited right now, but when I think back, on the things that I've said before that I want to do in a certain year, then I start to get a little discouraged because when I compare my want to list to, to my what I actually did list, what I actually accomplished, then far too often the list of things um, on the unfinished list is much longer than the things that I actually accomplished. And one of the reasons it ends up being that way for me and probably for some of you too, is I'm trying to change too much all at one, one time. See, I, I, maybe I have physical goals, you know. I mean, LeBron James spends $100,000 a year on his body. Maybe you've heard that before. Training. And so, I mean, I, yeah, I, could, I, could, I think I could try that this year. $100,000 just working out, you know. Um, I, I, I know musical goals. I think, well, Mozart wrote masterpieces. So, I mean, surely I can write music like Mozart did. Uh, you know, that's attainable. Uh, I have financial goals. I mean, 
like Jeff Bezos. I, I'm looking for my next billion dollars. Maybe you are too. I just heard this week Elon Musk is the first person to ever lose $200 million. He probably didn't even notice it, you know? Um, but, you know, all those things, those are big things that, you know, I say those, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, all I'm trying to do is be LeBron James and Mozart and Jeff Bezos. That's it. That's attainable. You know, those, those baby steps, you know? No, the problem with that mentality is I'm trying to accomplish so much at once that one of the two things is bound to happen. I'm, number one, going to lose energy, and, and I won't have the time or energy or resources to do it all, so I'm going to give up. Or, even if I do get it all done, there's no way I can master the whole list, so I'll end up simply being average at everything that I'm trying. You know, a jack of all trades and a master of, of, of none. I think that what we have to do is get away from the mentality that the most effective change comes by tackling everything all at once. That I have all of these things I'm going to do and all these changes I'm going to make. The most effective change actually comes when we shorten the list to the most important thing. And notice I said thing, not things. See, only in America is the word priorities become plural. See, in all, really to this point, in, in, in the language, of, you know, the word priority has always just been one. There can only be one. There's only one most important thing in your life. And by the way, that, the name next to your priority should be Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that you can do that is the most important thing. We spread ourselves so thin, we think, well, this is a priority, and this is a priority, and this is a priority, but the word itself implies only one. There can only be one most important thing in your life, and we need to get away from the many and settle on the one. We need to define and focus on the one thing, and, and it's usually one thing that will make the single biggest difference in change. It often comes down to the O-ring. Or it often comes down to the horseshoe. And this leads then us to Mark chapter 10 and this account of Christ's interaction with the rich young ruler. He's a young man. I appreciate his zeal. Um, it reminds me maybe of Brother Samuel a little bit. I, when we go somewhere together, like he takes big steps and he walks so fast and I'm like running to keep up with him. He's just... He's excited everywhere he goes. I mean, um, and if you want me to tell you who I think he walks like, you can ask me after church. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's very complimentary. Okay, so I, you know, I appreciate the zeal of somebody young. I appreciate the excitement that comes when somebody's young. It, it just, I mean, I like to be around the teenagers. I like, I love to go to camp with them. I like to watch how excited they get about things and and I appreciate the desire. I appreciate the zeal. I find myself appreciating this young man. But, but I want to notice though some things about him that reflect a faulty approach to change. Because he came to Jesus. If you think about it, he came to Jesus because he wanted change. He wanted something different in his life. He didn't want the, the status quo. And I appreciate that. These are traits I think that can be found in us as well. And the first thing that I see is that he started off excited. He started off with excitement. He was ready to go. And, and, you know, it says in verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. Like, he was running to Jesus. By the way, I mean, I know we have some fault. He has some faults here. But we need more people that run after Jesus. Uh, we need to be excited about following 
the Lord. And many of us, I mean, we're, we are, as Brother Ruckman talked about this morning, we're kind of fuddy-duddies. You know, we, we've done it so long, we're not excited. But we need to follow Jesus with some zeal. So I think that's something we can learn from him. He started out exciting. Excited, he, he didn't hide his excitement. He ran to Jesus. He kneeled before him. He wasn't hiding his, his intentions. He put on a very public display of emotion and enthusiasm. And I mean, he's the kind of guy that it, when you're out with him in public and it's time to pray over your food, I mean, he probably stood up and did it real loud. You know, some of us are like, Jesus, thank you for the food in Jesus' name, amen. You know, no, he stood up, dear God, you know, all these sinners here at Taco Bell. You know, he was zealous. He wasn't trying to hide anything. I, not, I, if, you, if you work at Taco Bell, I'm sorry that there are sinners at Taco Bell. So, but the food is, is um, addictive. Okay, so, you know, he wasn't hiding himself. Now, watching, again, I appreciate this. And frankly, God's people could use some zeal. See, emotion and excitement and energy, by the way, it's not wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to get excited and be excited about God and his work. And I mean, I was pumped up this morning when Brother Ruckman was preaching. And I wanted to, I, I mean, I wanted to, to get real excited because he just preached. It was such a good message. And his zeal is so, uh, it, it's so contagious. And I'm thankful for it. You know, approach God and his work and his people and services and church. It has some excitement. It's not wrong. We could use a little bit more excitement. But zeal to begin is not usually our biggest problem when it comes to change. See, zeal to get started, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm typically, I'm excited to get started with something new. I'm ready to jump in. I, I get excited. First day, man, I'm really excited about stuff. No, see, we're normally excited about something new. We, we live in a culture of novelty, don't we? I mean, something new is always present. I'm, uh, commercials are less than 60 sec or 30 seconds long usually, and uh, movies and video games have scenes that change so fast you can hardly keep up, and, and everything's flashy. I mean, even the news is eye-popping, and the news has all these moving graphics. It's not just the news, it's entertainment now. They're trying to keep you uh, focused, keep your eyeballs on the screen, and uh, you know, our problem is not zeal about the new. Because we like novelty, we like change, we're eager to switch things up. No, this is our first problem. See, that we're often seeking change out of boredom rather than change for what's best. And, and see, what makes sure that for change, that your intentions for change are God-pleasing. That you're not just thinking, you know, because this happens sometimes. I'm thinking about even in, in a church family. Sometimes, you know, you, maybe you're used to moving around or not being in one place very long and and after, you know, after uh, six months in one ministry, you're like, okay, boy, I've really exhausted that one. It's time to move on to something else. You know, churches like this are built on people that say, you know, six months is, is, is nothing. I'm going to stay right where I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to root where, I pl where I'm planted, and I'm going to be faithful for as long as it takes, because this is where God has, has, moved, has put me. I'm not looking for something new every turn. I want to be right where I am at. I'm at. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. And the idea there is that when you're planted in one place long enough, it takes a while for the fruit to come. But if you'll stick it out, the fruit will eventually come. 
But you're going to have to decide along the way that you're not going to cut and run at the first, the first time it gets hard or that you get bored. You know, we, we need this. We need to hear these kinds of things in America because everything's so transitory and people are always looking for something new. But no, we need to actually be stable and stick it out and be right where we're supposed to be before God can really start to bless us. So make sure you're not just looking for change because you're bored. You're not just looking for change because you're tired of the same old, same old. You're not just doing it to impress other people, maybe like this young man was doing, to be seen of men. Don't let God determine your changes, not emotion. And see, that's the first truth that I want to see here, is that excitement alone is not enough to experience change. Excitement enough won't get you through the, through the difficult seasons. Excitement alone, excitement wears off. And it doesn't take very long for excitement to be gone. And then you're left with what? It might get you started, but it won't be enough to when it gets difficult. You're going to need something bigger than your emotions when it's no longer new. And that mentality is seen in the, questions that he, the question that he asks. You know, he comes and he says uh, in verse 20, uh, verse, uh, let's see, where are we at? Verse 17, he says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He asks for the biggest thing he can think of. I mean, doesn't he? He comes along and he's like, I don't just want a little thing. I want the biggest thing. What's the most impressive question I can ask? Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, popping his collar again. He's not interested in baby steps. He wants the whole thing and he wants wants it right now. He's a go big or go home kind of a guy, right? And I don't fault it. I'm excited for his excitement. The problem is, is that big change doesn't come with giant steps. It comes with small steps. And you can't, you can't just immediately be everything you've always dreamed about being overnight. It takes, it takes time. And I think that some Christians, they get discouraged in their Christian life because they think that, that it's a light switch. But it's not a light switch. You don't just turn on the light switch and go from zero to 60 as a Christian. It's a process, and, and sometimes we skip the steps along the way, and if we try to do that, we won't be what we're supposed to be, and when we get over here, we won't have the roots uh, strong enough to keep us where we're supposed to be. It is a process, and it takes time. I mean, to become a disciple doesn't happen overnight. It takes years, and that's why I, I want everybody at Eastside um, that serves in any capacity to go through our discipleship book. Continue. To take some time and go through it and you say, well, you know, I've got experience and I've, got, I've been a Christian a long time and I know all this stuff. Well, well, maybe, but we all probably, we have something to learn, learning about our doctrines, learning about those things. But also, we're not typically where we think we are when it comes to maturity. We've got some steps. Every one of us have some steps to take. Most of our decisions for change begin with blind excitement. But this young man was so blinded by the emotion of the moment... He didn't see something very different, different or very important. This he, he he underestimated the difficulties. He underestimated. So he began with lots of excitement, but in his excitement, he underestimated how hard it was going to be. Look at verse eighteen. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And this verse can create some confusion. Understand, Jesus Christ is not saying. He's not denying his own deity, okay? He's not saying, I'm not God. No, he's calling into question the young man's motives. See, the rich young ruler was obviously trusting in his own goodness 
to obtain eternal life. He, he was coming with this idea that I can be good enough to do this on my own. What must I do? What am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus Christ has to counter the mindset of this human tendency to trust our own goodness to gain God's favor because that is man's way, isn't it? That's the natural default that people think, if I can be good enough, I can earn God's favor. It's also though likely that the young man didn't fully believe or understand that Jesus Christ was God. Uh, maybe he didn't fully grasp um, who he was, and we can assume that maybe based on a couple of things. He called Christ good teacher. He didn't call him Messiah. He didn't call him son of God. He said good teacher. Now, and second reason, he, he may not have understood who Jesus was, and we find out a couple of verses later that he didn't even heed Christ's word. So he, he was calling him good, likely without believing maybe in his deity, and he was just throwing the word around without considering what it meant. That's why Jesus called him on using the word good. So Christ's answer is less about um, his own deity, and it's more about the young man's motives and what he was trusting in. And that's, where, that's the counter. Look, he follows up in verse 19 with this. Thou knowest the commandments. And he talks about don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't uh, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. See, Jesus reads off then a portion of the Ten Commandments. And the man very quickly responds in verse 20. I've kept all of them. I, I have done all this. I mean, this, this man, you just described my life. Good, ma good, good, good master, teacher. No, he, he says, I've done all this. Okay, question. Do you think he'd kept every one of these? There's no way. Yeah, see, knowing the human nature that we all have, we would have to say no. And my point then is this. The rich young ruler was ignoring the obstacles of change. He wasn't taking into account the things he would have to overcome if he wanted to really follow Jesus. He wasn't considering that his own sin would prevent him from getting what he wanted. And see, what the Lord is doing then is he's preparing this young man for the obstacles. And I'm thankful for that. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ gives us the fine print, but it's not fine print, it's actually in large font. You know, sometimes, and you've seen this before, you know, one time we got, we, we got this thing in the mail and, and it was a little scratch-off thing and we scratched it off and it said, you know, you've won this, like, set of luggage. It's at a car dealer, you know, an hour away. We said, man, this is amazing. We were, we were young, okay? We, we needed luggage. We didn't have any money. So we got in the car. We said, let's go to the car dealership. And, and we drove to some place, walked in and said, look at our scratch off. And they went and they got it. It was a little piece of plastic. It was like this thick. It was, it was soft-sided luggage you could fit into, like, in your hand. The whole luggage set was, like, this big. And they were just the cheapest pieces of luggage I've ever seen. But they got us in the door, and then they tried to force us to buy a car, which is a pretty good, you know, setup. So we bid it. But if we, but if we had read the fine print, we would have known what they were trying to do. We would have understood what was really being asked of us. See, Jesus Christ, what I love about following him is he doesn't have fine print. No, he, he throws out there from the very beginning what it's going to take to follow him. He doesn't trick anybody into being a disciple. He doesn't manipulate anybody. He says, no, here's what it takes. And it's kind of the idea of Romans 10, 9, and 10. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But the idea from that very beginning is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that means from the very beginning you understand that by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not just calling him Savior, you're calling him Master. You're submitting yourself to whatever he asks of you. Now, I'm, that's not a work, by the way. We don't believe in work salvation. But you do need to understand very, from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is not just saying, here's a blank check, I have no requirements, use it however you want. No, he says, here's a blank check for your salvation, but look at the back, here's what's required of you if you're truly going to follow me. He gives us the obstacles from the very beginning, and I'm thankful for that. See, when, uh, we need to approach change through the lens of reality. In other words, you might be excited today, but tomorrow morning is probably going to feel different. I mean, it, reading your Bible, you could be excited about it. Maybe you got one of the new, uh, one of the journals or the daily Bible reading journals. By the way, if you got one of those, I think that this year you should just say, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. And every day I'm going to open my journal and I'm going to write the things that God's speaking to me about. And I'm going to enjoy that time. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to go to bed earlier so I can get up early and spend some time. I'm going to do it every day. And if you bought a journal, I would just want to challenge that every person in this room that got a journal, why don't you just say, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. Amen. I'm going to spend time with God every day. But see, it's exciting right now, but tomorrow morning... You know, prayer is exciting right now, but when it's time to actually stay awake when you bow your head and close your eyes. Uh, um, uh, the, you know, you think about devotions with, uh, with your family or whatever it is you're trying to do to, do, to make, take some spiritual steps. It's easy to be excited, but you must understand the reality of the difficulties. It's fine to say the night before, but when the alarm goes off, you know. And you might be focused today, but things are going to come up. And it's going to make the decision more difficult. I mean, based on the winter we've already had, probably if, if, you're, if you're a man, you're going to have to take, take some time every, just about every morning to shovel your, your driveway this winter. I mean, based on how things are going and based on the next couple of days, I mean, we have a winter storm warning coming again. And this is more snow than we had all of last year. So I'm, I'm just saying that those kinds of things literally can become a distraction to the decisions you're making for change. I mean, uh, six inches of snow might keep you out of God's word for the morning. And you have to account for those things. You have to be realistic. See, Christ approached the man with truth, not emotion. And we need a dose of reality before we begin our journey toward change. Stop and consider the failure points, points before you just jump into something. Ask questions like, what is going to prevent me from accomplishing this task? What is most likely to keep me from doing this this year? What could distract me from focusing on this? What's most, my most likely area of weakness? And let's just use the example of reading your Bible. I mean, what are the failure points for reading your Bible? What is most likely to keep you from reading your Bible? Tell me some. What, what, you tell me what's most likely. What is it? Fatigue. Right? Fatigue. Right? Yeah. I know Brother Jeremy deals with that. He works a job. They drive 30 minutes, 30 plus minutes to come to church on Sundays. He preached this morning in Flandreau for Brother Lillibridge. I mean, fatigue's a very real thing. What else? Your phone. Have you ever started reading your Bible and then 10 minutes in, you're like scrolling through something? Like, oh wait, I was reading my Bible. Your phone, absolutely. What else? 
I heard somebody over here. Kids, says Miss Shannon, with by experience. You start reading your Bible, and, and that's when the kids start coming in the room. My wife says that all the time. She said, I just went five minutes without somebody not knocking on my door. You know, just, you know, I just went five minutes. I get it. What else? Time. Time. That's right. Time is a factor. What else? With the mic? Apathy. You just don't care. You just don't want it, right? Miss Pam. Playing Xbox. How burn. <laughs> The game and granny has spoken. <laughs> yep, I mean, she, but she knows. And again, she likes to play those games, but she's got a balance, I guarantee, that you, you guys need. Yeah. In that she still prioritizes her walk with God. Now, who else? Anybody else? Yes, Ms. Rosalind. Concentrate. Isn't it easy to be distracted? We've been trained to only spend 30 seconds at a time focusing on things. And so to spend... You know, if you have a Bible reading plan, like my Bible reading plan sometimes takes me 30 or 40 minutes, um, and longer sometimes, and 30 or 40 minutes of concentration, there's a, there's a hundred things that could come up and come into your mind and distract you from the things that you're supposed to be focusing on. These are all, these are all really good. They're, they, you, you talked about the things that I had listed. This, it, I, I thought, well, going to bed late. You know, that's easy to go to bed late. And just kind of keep putting it off and you're trying to do something. Or, you know, our girls were home for the last few weeks and they worked till midnight most of the night. They were closing. And so we'd stay up like, oh, we want to see them while they're home, you know. And by the time we actually go to bed, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And just because we want to hang out with our kids. You know, and that's not wrong. But I'm telling you, that makes it harder to get up in the morning. I mean, you're, when you're going to bed in the morning. You know, I, I put down... Um, you know, being tired, I have to put down the entertainment. I mean, you, you can spend your time, you know, it's easier, you know, turn on the news in the morning and see what's going to happen with the weather. Um, and then you're watching the news and you don't read your Bible. I'm, you're distracted uh, on your phone. I mean, those kinds of things. This man, listen, we need to understand there will be, dis there will be challenges to your goals. And this man assumed he was going to be the exception. See, in his mind, he was without weaknesses. He said, I haven't broken any of these. I have kept all of these laws from the time that I was young. I'm the exception. But as soon as you consider yourself to be the exception, then you are going to find yourself falling for the challenges. You see, the second truth here is this. Ignoring the difficulties won't make them go away. I mean, yeah, you can be excited, but that doesn't make the difficulties go away. Don't approach change with your head in the sand. Understand the difficulties that are going to come as you try to make your changes. Be honest, be realistic, set reasonable expectations. I mean, if you've never lifted weights before, then don't assume in, in six weeks I'm going to be bench pressing 300 pounds. I mean, it's not realistic. I mean, I mean, some of us could do that, but it's not realistic for everybody. That was a joke, by the way. Well, the fact that you didn't laugh means you believe it. So, okay, good. You know, Jesus Christ is about to help him see the obstacles by pointing out a simple th truth about change. You know what he says? He's, here's the third major point. Is he, his limitation was singular. Meaning, he had one big problem. This one thing thou lackest. Jesus loved, by the way, I love that Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. 
You know, we should love each other enough not to allow each other to stay where we are. It's love and tolerance, which I've preached, I preached just a few weeks ago. Some people assume love is tolerance, but love doesn't tolerate sin. And this rich young ruler had a major issue. He was caught up in earthly treasure. He was caught up in possessions. Matthew 19 said he had great possessions. Luke chapter 18 says he was very rich. Those are the other descriptions of him. His love for material things was the one thing holding him back from following the Lord. And he wasn't willing to let go of it. He walked away, ended up walking away grieved. And Jesus Christ basically said there's one thing you need to deal with. Just one thing. And that one thing kept him from being a disciple. And you know what? It's true for us too. Change starts with one thing. On the flip side, one thing will keep us from change. And, and we so often try to change everything all at once. And we end up changing nothing. And I want to just encourage you tonight in this new year to focus on your one thing. Maybe your one thing is something that you need to start doing and you haven't been doing it. And you need to be better at it. Or maybe your one thing is something you need to stop doing. Uh, like, like Abraham with his Ishmael that I preached uh, early this year. And that uh, Abraham, Abraham had to throw or cast off his Ishmael before he could move on for God's plans for his life. And maybe it's not something that you need to start. It's something that you need to cast off. Maybe your one thing that you're carrying around Ishmael on your back and he's preventing you from doing all the things God wants you to do. And, and however it looks in your life, we need to do some self-inspection tonight and find out if there's one thing that one thing that we need to change, either to start doing or stop doing, and just be discerning and focused enough to find the one thing that's going to make the biggest difference in our lives. What's your one thing? I mean, what is that one bad habit that you need to kick? What's that one mindset that you need to shift? What's that one lack of discipline in one area? What's that one thing in your life that most often keeps you from following Christ like you should? What's that one excuse you always find yourself using? What is that one activity that seems to always get in the way? What is the one thing in your life that if you changed would make the biggest difference for you? What's your one thing? And remember, it's one thing. Are you trying to change too many things at once when what you really need is to focus on one? I mean, if you try that, I'm telling you, it will be impossible and you'll either give up or you'll just be average at everything. Become a master of your one thing. Uh, so many try to change everything and change nothing in the process. These principles can apply in every area of life. I mean, physically, what's the one habit that you need to change in in eating or in exercise, at work, what's the one area that if you learned this one skill and got better at it, it would make you a better employee? In your family, what's the one change to your schedule that if you as a family would start to do, it would change your unity, it would change your focus and your direction, and maybe add family devotions or, or turning off the TV at a set time? 
Uh, what, in your marriage, husbands and wives, what, what do one uh, thing that does, is one helpful thing maybe differently, if you, if you were to do it differently, that it would change everything. Maybe add something to your, to your schedule once a month or twice a month. Or What is it in your marriage that you could change, the one thing that you could do differently? What about in your finances? Is there an area that you need to, to adjust you're spending, if you really honestly look at how you've been spending your money and, and take account and, and maybe you just need to cut something out that would help you to be freed up to give more to missions or give more to the building fund or pay off debt or, or save more money. You know, this applies to everything, but obviously tonight the most important area is our spiritual life. I mean, what one adjustment in your life would make the biggest difference for your spiritual, spirituality? Maybe it's more consistent Bible reading. Or it's more, maybe a more regular prayer life. That's one that I think we all probably feel inadequate in. Maybe it's faithfulness to God's house. More involvement serving or having a place to serve or, or witnessing. Or maybe there's a spiritual characteristic um, that you need to work on or something that you need to get rid of. Maybe it's anger. You know, anger destroys so many homes. Maybe it's patience. With your family, maybe it's your language, teenagers, maybe it's your attitude with your parents. What one thing would make the biggest difference in your home? Maybe it's a bad habit, maybe it's making something right with somebody. You've got an issue with somebody and you haven't made it right. What one thing has kept you from progressing spiritually this last year? Think back to January 1, 2022. I mean, that was a year ago. Is there any noticeable change in your spiritual life from a year ago? I mean, what one thing will keep you from becoming what you ought to be over the next 12 months? Look ahead to January 1, 2024. I mean, it's hard to believe 2024 is only one year away. And if you don't change anything, will there be noticeable growth in your life over the next year? If you were to change one thing, what would contribute to the most growth? in the next 12 months. You know, and this feels hard. I mean, you think, man, I just don't know if I can do this. Well, Christ dealt with that too. Look at verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answers again, and he kind of clarified it more and saith unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, he doesn't give a lot of hope for the rich. And the, and the disciples take note of that as well. But look at verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But don't miss the Lord's answer in verse 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You know, as, and, and by the way, how hardly shall um, a poor man trusting in his strength, how hard would it be for him to enter into the kingdom of heaven? You know, the idea is there's nobody trusting in anything other than Christ that can enter the kingdom of heaven. A rich man trusting in his riches is not going to make it. A poor man trusting in his morality isn't going to make it. With men, that's impossible. It's not possible for any of us in our own strength to do this. And, there's, and, and as impossible, though, as you think it is 
in your strength. And it is impossible to even follow Christ in your strength. Um, you know, there's no, what Jesus says then, there's no single change that God can't give you the grace and strength to make if you go to him about it. He, he says it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, for us, it's not just hard to follow and make change and do what we ought to. It's impossible. But for God, it's not even hard. It's possible. Amen. See, not only is it possible, but when the change comes from a heart that wants to be closer to God, look at the outcome. When, when, when we do things because we want to draw nearer to God, look what he does in verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And I don't think this is a matter of pride with Peter. I think he, he's, he's trying to understand what Jesus is saying. Look, Jesus says, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But, with, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. See, what, and, and we, I'm not even going to get into the details here, but what we think we're losing in the process of following Christ, it will be restored to us a hundredfold spiritually and eternally. See, not only does God make it possible, here's what I want you to get, not only does he make it possible to change, he also makes it worth it. See, following God is not just possible, it's worth it. That's what he's saying. If you have a heart to follow and serve Christ more and grow closer to God this year and commit more to him and be more faithful or be more active, he will give you both the grace and the power to accomplish it. And in the end, he'll make it all worth your while. Amen. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If we just humble ourselves and take steps, uh, steps toward change for God... He wants to meet us with grace. He wants to provide the help for us. You just have to be willing to start with your one thing. See, one thing that will make that biggest difference. One thing that would change everything for you in 2023. Maybe it's waking up earlier so you can have time with God. Maybe it's attending church more consistently or being more faithful to your ministry. Or, or taking your ministry more seriously. I mean, if you've been teaching for 20 years, it's, it's pretty easy to just to kind of go through the motions, isn't it? Maybe, maybe as a man, you know, or a teen guy, it's, it's your one thing is to get rid of that smartphone. Amen. You know, so that you, or, or be more accountable. I think that's destroying a lot of relationships with God, destroying a lot of relationships in homes. Ladies may be dealing with bitterness. Taking a step to show forgiveness. Maybe that's your one thing. Um, senior saints, maybe it's more time in prayer. Or maybe it's, you know, finding a way to be an encouragement um, as you can or doing what you can. As a church, I man, I'm thinking about this. What's our one thing? You know, I think Brother Ruckman hit on it this morning. Our one thing, no matter all the things that we do, our one thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot lose sight. We can't become so busy in everything else that we lose sight of the fact that if everything we have was stripped away, 
we still have the purpose of the gospel. Whatever it is today, you need more than excitement. And you can't underestimate the obstacles don't, because they're real. And then you just need to focus one thing at a time. So tonight, I want to encourage you in, in closing to name your O-ring. Name your O-ring. What's the one thing that if it's going to fail you is the most likely to fail you? Name your O-ring tonight and then set up specific measurable goals in order to see it attained. Don't just say, I'm going to do this big thing. No, take steps. Third, envision what your life would look like if you actually do it. Some, and I know that sounds silly, but it's true. When I stop and I imagine what my life would be like if I really did make this change, well, I get motivated. So name your O-ring, set up specific measurable goals, envision what your life would look like if you made that change. And then number four, don't stop at one thing. Once you've mastered one thing, go on to the next one thing. Don't do it all at once. I'm not saying do it all at once. I'm saying once you get one thing out of the way, then stop and ask the Lord, okay, what's the next one thing? And before too long, after a series in your life, a series of seasons where you're pursuing one thing at a time, you're going to find yourself a changed person. And that's what we all want. We want to be like Christ. We want change. We want to be more like him. We want to be more effective for him. We, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better friend. Well, if you will take it one thing at a time, I think God will help you get there. You know, 2023 could be your best year. It could be our best year. And I have no doubt that God wants it to be. Or it could just be another year. And in one year, you're going to look back and you're going to be thinking, man, all these opportunities I missed because I didn't focus on one thing. I don't know about you. I don't want to settle. I want 2023 to be better than 2022. I want to take some steps. And I believe it starts with one thing. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.